This is your field as our office. I'm field agronomist for South Central Minnesota, Jay Zilski, and with me is my neighbor to the east, field agronomist, Ashley Storby. Good morning, Ashley. How are you today? I am so good, Jay. How are you? I'm, I'm fantastic. Uh, you know, Ashley, it's, it's a little chilly outside, though, yet, you know, and it's kind of funny. A couple of weeks ago, uh, what astronomical spring occurred, what, 14th of March, and it hasn't felt hasn't felt much like spring here since then. It had not. I, I were tracking our outside hours, as you know, to have the kids reach the 1,000 hours outside. And our, our hours tracked in this latter part of March have been very, very low compared to the first part of March. We were so much nicer. So uh, we're going to have some room to uh, improve into April. Absolutely, uh, Ashley. And you know, I was talking to a farmer last week, and we were, were joking about the old expression that the robin has to have its tail snowed on three times before spring occurs. And I, I saw my first robin two weeks ago, and, and so far I, I've got one snow, and we're trying to determine whether or not sleet qualifies. We're going to think we're going to throw that into the mix. So we got here in Mankato, at least, we got one more snow to go. Um, I don't know about your neighborhood, Ashley, down the Lake Mills area. Have, have you had that snow yet, too? We did. We had one snow, and then we had a really bizarre thick sleet that was almost like hail, but it was really, it was really small. Um, so that was last week. And then actually this morning, I woke up to some snow when I drove into town to go to the gym. So I think we have three, so spring can come. Go ahead. We'll have to wait a little bit longer than you, Ashley. And, you know, enough about the robins and, and snow and maybe some solid uh, meteorological information. Uh, Kyle uh, Shaughness, who is a DTN meteorologist, was kind enough to share uh, some information with me a, a week ago. And it's kind of neat. Kyle's actually a, a homegrown guy. Um, he's from the uh, New Prague area. His, his dad actually happens to be a good pioneer customer up in the New Prague area. In the last few years, he's always uh, shared with us his seasonal weather updates and just wanted to give you just kind of a, a brief overview of some of his comments. And uh, uh, first off, he, his first comment was that April through June will feature generally near normal precipitation. Periods of colder weather still appear likely in late March and April. So, so far we're, we're tracking with this. And then he goes on to say this may lead to some increased cold rain or snow risks into at least the first half of, of April. Uh, and then after that, a warmer and drier trend builds into the summer through fall months, July through October. And his comment was this could lead to more drought concerns expanding across the Midwest with extended periods of hot and dry conditions, possibly late season stress. So we'll have to we'll have to see about that. You always hate to hear the mention of, of, of drought and yet you know, after last year's experience, maybe we're a little more confident that if you get a timely rain, uh, we can pull things around in a hurry. Um, but again, certainly we maybe have a little bit lower subsoil moisture levels this spring. But, you know, as, as we look more near term, you know, if Kyle's forecast holds true, once the planters get rolling, we may be in for some cool and cold soils at planting time. And, and so that could potentially uh, create some stresses, challenging emergence and stand establishment. And Ashley, I'll store, uh, share a little bit more about that later, but I think it's probably time to move on today's, to today's topic, strip till, and our guest, Tom Polachek. So, uh, Ashley, I'll let you take it over here from here, and uh, anxious to hear what uh, Tom has to say about his experiences with strip till. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Jay. 
I have the pleasure of introducing Tom. Um, so I have I have known Tom for a few years as he has been a plot cooperator for us. Um, Tom farms south of Owatonna. And when, when we asked around of you know, who should we talk to uh, if we want to interview someone about strip-till farming and um, the nuances of strip-till, and Tom's name came up right away. Um, so Tom graciously gave us some time here to discuss strip-till on his farm. So Tom, we really appreciate you. Thank you for being with us. Um, so I'll start off with Tom. Um, can you tell us how long you've been farming? Uh, thanks, Ashley. I have been the family. Um, I went to Iowa State in the mid-70s and I graduated from there in 77 and then uh, started dairy farming and did that until 85. And when my brother and I bought a business in the cities, after that, uh, I've just been uh, farming the land and, and adding some land to it. My dad and I worked together 50-50 uh, from 77 till 2014. And currently, my it's my wife and I are running the farm. My son, uh, my son Eric, comes up on on weekends and helps, and then my brother Dave helps in the fall uh, hauling grain. We plant about seven hundred fifty acres, and it's a fifty fifty uh, crop rotation. Oh, wonderful! And and you know, I've I've got to see I've got to see our our products on your farm, particularly from our plots, and and I know we we get. We get great data from, from the plots you do with us. So thank you for that. We, we really appreciate it. And, and one of the other unique things as I looked at our, our plots on, on your farm is um, that, that you are a strip-till farm. And there, we have a handful of, of good operations in strip-till in our area, but certainly conservation or conventional tillage is still the norm. Um, so interested for you, Tom, when did you start strip tilling and, and what inspired you to make that change on your operation? I, we, we put our first strips in, in the fall of 2014. Um, we were a conventional, uh, con conventional tillage farmer. Uh, we actually went to, from park the moldboard plow in, in the early seventies and went to chisel plowing, which was quite novel in those days. And I had been kind of, investigating strip till and interested in strip till and, and uh, reading about it quite a bit on ag talk my dad was the our tillage guy he ran the ripper and the field cultivator and he and i didn't want to put him out of a job by going to strip till so i was kind of delaying getting going on it uh but in the in about 20 2013 we started seeing memory issues and um that kind of put him out of business and I was looking at it and thinking there's there's no way I'm going to be able to get the tillage and the, the spring field cultivating done along with planting and the fall harvest done along with uh, tillage. So that kind of pushed me to getting into the strip till for for labor reasons. So then when you when you made that change, um, what were you looking at when you were when you were comparing strip till rigs or or did you did you find one that was the perfect fit right away and, and is that the the strip till machine that you still have? Um, initially, uh, we found a, a guy that would uh, custom put st custom strip till. So for two years, I had him do that, and uh, and then I happened on this this machine down in Iowa that was uh, fairly cheap. 
And so I jumped on it and it's still the one I'm using now. It's a John Deere 2510S with a, uh, I pull a Montag uh, single bin card on okay. it. Okay. And is with that, with, um, with that strip tiller, is that a uh, setup with Coulter's or, or with Shanks? It's Shanks. Shanks. Okay. Yeah, it's Shanks. Okay. And it's been pretty good as far as getting through wet stocks, but the last couple of years we've had abnormally dry stocks and I've had some trouble plugging with it. Mm. So. And with your, um, when you made the change to strip till, did you change your guidance system? I, I've always been, had John Deere guidance and I, I think when I went to strip till is when I went to RTK. Okay. I don't, I don't believe I had it before that. And, but the but the uh, the guy that did the custom strips had an ag leader system, and I thought I could just feed him my AB lines, and he could just put them in his ag leader, and then I could just strip right on his, uh, you know, it would, everything would work. But I found out later it did it didn't work, and I found out later that you can't mix the two systems; they they work off different satellites. Mm. One of one of the things that comes up often when we when we discuss converting into strip tillage is the, the sentiment that the person making the strips ought to be the same person that's going to wind up in the planter and that, you, that the strips need to be made with the, the same level of care as is the, with the planter pass. So when you're making your strips, are, are you in the tractor when, when you're making those strips? Yes, yeah. and I've, I've always felt that way too because you kind of know, you know how the, you want the headlands laid out and and you have to do it the same way. And for you, do those strips get made then once you're you're done with harvest, or or do you try to sneak some some stripping in before you get done with harvest some years? Well, we've always only had one GPS unit and uh, globe and and screen, so we had to, and we always had that in the combine to to you know to uh, uh, monitor yields. And so we would have to get done with harvest and then we'd shift that over to the tractor and start stripping. Uh, last spring, I think it was, I bought a, a, a second uh, monitor and screen with the idea of, of planting cover crops while we're uh, harvesting. But um, that would allow us to start stripping too. But I think, I think labor is probably gonna be the bigger issue, mm. not having Are enough labor. Have you experimented with cover crops in your system yet, or would that be a, a new a new add to the farm? I've been doing I've been experimenting for a couple of years okay. and growing it. I'm now at about two thirds of the acres are have cover crops on them, and and I'm working toward getting them all okay. covered. And when are you seeding those? I've experimented with uh, putting them on with uh, with a ground rig at, at the first of September. Uh, I've also experimented with flying them on. Last year, we I bought a drill and we seeded them right after the the uh, beans were off, and um, we seeded. I plugged one of the, the uh, ten of the thirty rows on a thirty foot planter, thirty foot drill, and then uh, that's where the strip goes. And so I've actually got two rows of of cover crops ten inches apart, and then a, the the corn row. And that oh, looked that, really good. I really like that. Oh, that's fantastic! That then you're optimizing the the seed that you're planting, and you're not you're not stripping into new growth. That's 
Yeah, yeah. and I can kind of let the strip, I, I feel like I can let the covers grow just a little bit longer because they're not competing directly with the corn yet. So when you, you're coming in and making your strips in the fall, um, then you're you're putting putting dry fertilizer in that that band too. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with the with the stripper? Um, we're we're running the strip till down about six inches, six to seven inches. So we're putting the fertilizer down about probably five to six. And and in bean ground going into corn, I'm putting down MAP and sulfur. And then in corn ground going in the beans, I'm putting down potash. Okay. Okay. And then once you've once you've made that that fall application then in your band, um, then you're coming back in the spring and beginning your nitrogen program. Then can you tell us a little bit about your nitrogen program and then um, you know any changes that that you made with your nitrogen program moving from the um, conventional till to strip till? Uh, we were always uh, fall applied nitrogen until 2011, and then we started side dressing anhydrous. And uh, um, in, I think, the same year that I started strip tilling, I went to uh, side dressing uh, liquid nitrogen. So I put on a little bit of nitrogen out the back of the planter, and then the rest is all at, at side dress. Okay. Okay, and then that would be, in, in some cases, that would be quite a bit of a nitrogen going on with your side dress. So is that, are you, do you move a little slower with your, with your side dress, um, just with the volume of nitrogen as, as compared to what you might have in the past? I think so. You're probably right. I, I have not, I've always done that. So yeah, you're putting on down to 45 gallons of nitrogen per acre, um, up to that. I, it's all variable rate. Everything I do is variable rate. Okay. And, uh, but it can get to be quite a bit of volume going out there. Mm -hmm. So then looking back, going back to that, that initial pass, making those strips in the fall, um, when you, when you first started banding your dry fertilizer, did you make a change between the quantity that you were banding some some operations mention they they come down to it like a two thirds rate or a three quarters rate with banding their dry fertilizer versus what they would have applied with broadcast. Did you make those changes on your farm too? I initially thought that I could do that, and I I I went to my agronomist and said, you know, come up with the prescriptions and then cut them by twenty percent or cut them in a third or something like that. And I did that once or once or twice, and then forgot to tell them to cut them. And I'm kind of that's kind of a question mark for me. I'm 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 feeling like I should be seeing it in the in the uh, recommendations from the soil test that we're needing less fertilizer, hmm. rather than just automatically going out there and, and just arbitrarily cutting up by a percentage. Hmm. But I have run some some strip trials that I've put a lot less fertilizer on and the yields have, have stayed the same, so. And in your, in your area, that south of Owatonna area, the, the soils tend to be pretty heavy. Drainage tends to be one of our limiting factors, but there is some variability there. Do you have, um, on your farm, do you have any farms that you would consider lighter or 
kind of on the lower organic matter side. I've got area. I've got a, a a couple of fields that have a little lighter soils on on the west end, but most of the rest of them are all pretty heavy and and um, we have a hard time deciding where to put varieties because they're all the same. Mm. All the fields are the same. Um, so on that line, in terms of um, you know variety selection and, and performance, when we think about working with someone who is in strip till, one of the things that we think about um, from a product recommendation standpoint is preparing for the, the worst case scenario. If we do get off the strip when we're planting, we want to make sure we have products that we expect to emerge well, even in, in cooler soils or maybe in some residue. Um, have you had a situation where you were planting and you, you got off the strip? Well, the first year that I, I planted on the strips, like I said, the, the uh, guidance systems weren't lining up and, and I thought I was going to take a big yield hit because I knew that I was off the strip sometimes and I really didn't. Um, so maybe, maybe we just got lucky and had the right varieties, but, um, I was quite impressed that it didn't seem to harm it. Oh, that's wonderful. And so along those lines, you know, thinking about productivity, um, since you've made the conversion into strip till, have you noticed any changes in, in crop productivity? Well, um, I keep some elaborate spreadsheets that every year and I, I last, last uh, late summer, we had a field day at the farm. So I was looking at comparing um, yields and profitability from average of 2010 to the 2014 while we were conventional tillage and then 2015 to, uh, to last year uh, and strip till. And I, I compared my yields with the average county yield that I got from the FSA office. And my yields have been uh, higher on corn every year since we, well, every year and, and continuing to do that while we've, we've been strip tilling. Um, the, in the average yield from 2011 to 2014 was 185 bushels to the acre, whereas the county was 168. In oh, 2015 nice. to 2020, after I started strip tilling, my average yield has been 217 bushels per acre, and the county was at right at 200. With beans, oh, and then and then uh, pounds of eight of n per bushel, from 2011 to 2014, I was at 1.03 pounds of n per bushel, and then 2015 to 2020, I'm at 0.83. And 2020 actually was was uh, 0.58. I guess I haven't looked at it yet for 2021, but and bean yields bean yields have been better. That beans really seem to love these strips, and I think I've always attributed it to putting the fertilizer right directly under the seed. Um, again, they've been they've been higher than the county average, and in with with beans 2011 to 2014, my yield average was 50. And the county was 46. And then 2015 to 2020, my average was 66, and the county was 56. So it's even a bigger delta. Oh, that that is fantastic data that you collected. I the number that jumps out at me, the the 
the upward trends on, on both corn and soybeans and, and especially relative to the county average, that is, that is a, a compelling story for the, the system in your management. Yep. But the, the number that sticks out to me is that that point, point 0.58 on your nitrogen use efficiency for 2020. That's very impressive. Um, I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure that's sustainable. I, everything I read is about 0.7 is about as low as people are really kind of maintaining. I think that one, we just kind of happened to get lucky and, and uh, got a big yield for the amount of nitrogen we put out there. And do you think your that the, re, the improvement in your nitrogen use efficiency, do you credit that to putting more nitrogen on in season um, you know, versus the, the fall application that you had, had previously made was, was the larger, the larger component of your nitrogen system. Yes. Or, I think so. Okay. Yeah. I think putting it on when the crop needs it and not letting it get away. I think that very much improves the nitrogen use. And with the, with the side dress beans that you're putting on the, the lion's share of your nitrogen now at side dress, are are you stabilizing that with a, a nitrogen stabilizer or, or are you just going ahead and, and putting it on just as the liquid nitrogen? Just the liquid nitrogen, liquid nitrogen and thiosulfate. Okay. I, I didn't mention that before, but put, put thiosulfate on with the in. Oh, fantastic. Uh, one of the things as we, as we talk to, talk to farmers that are interested in strip till, um, there's, there's several, several consistent questions, uh, but one of them that I, I think that, um, that people interested in strip-till would most benefit from is, is talking with someone who's been doing strip-till and, and if they could share something that they would do differently if they were to start all over again. So Tom, if you were going to go back to 2014 and, and start engaging in strip-till all over again, are there any changes you would make or, or something that you would do differently? Well, when I when we we hired this this custom operator to put these strips in, he, he was just starting strip till as well, and he told me that he sold all his tillage equipment and his big tractor the first year he started strip tilling. And I thought, boy, that's pretty bold. What if this doesn't work? And and uh, um, I didn't. I had just bought a, a brand new Ripper the year before. And only put 400 acres on it, but I kept it thinking I might, you know, who knows. And I kept it long enough that it became an, you know, an outdated model. And so therefore the, the uh, value went down. So I guess the thing I would have done differently is right away sold all of my equipment, just, just like he did. And, uh, and been done with it because it, I never, I never thought about looking backwards. No, that's really cool. So then looking forward on your farm, is there anything uh, that you anticipate changing or doing differently um, compared to what you're currently doing? Well, we're, as I said before, we're, we're working in these cover crops. I, so far, it's just been a couple of species. I'm, I'm hoping to put more species in the mix that will, that will set more nitrogen. I'm also testing uh, on one field, I'm going to test no-till planting green into the cover crop this spring and I put some strips over there too so I can do some yield checks and see how that compares. Okay and you know something that we didn't ask um, that I was curious on 
Um, and I, I don't think you're doing it, but have you experimented with um, any freshening of the strips in the spring? No, I've never, I've never felt the need for that. Okay. The ground has gotten so mellow that, that uh, just, I take the, I kind of skim off a little bit off the top with the row cleaners and plant right into it. And you mentioned the ground has gotten so mellow. Do you, you feel like that's a, a change in soil structure that you've experiment, experienced over time as you've, have you been in the strip-till system? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We used to, we used to have such terrible clods when we would, you know, disc after the chisel plow, we'd disc and then we'd work it with a field cultivator once or twice. And, and there were such big clods and I just kind of hoped that the row cleaners on the planter would push those to the side so we get the, get a decent seed bed. But now those clods are gone and, and the worm populations have just exploded. And so yeah. that, so that soil is just like cottage cheese now, oh, potting soil. Have you noticed any changes in terms of, you know, unless we go out and actually measure um, water holding capacity, it's more of an anecdotal observation, I suppose. But have you noticed any differences in um, areas that used to pond or hold water or didn't drain as fast where, where you think you're um, observing better water infiltration? Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't really have, I've got a lot of tile, so I'm not having a lot of ponding, but um, I feel like it's, it is, it, the water is infiltrating better. And I, I feel like that helped a lot in the yields that we got last fall. Awesome. And one more, one more question that I have for you, Tom, and, and then we, uh, then we'll move to Jay and Jay can give us some, some key takeaways. Uh, but I, I'm wondering, I know you're, you're very active um, in, in the county as it applies to, to soil health. Could you, could you share with us um, information about the Freeborn Area Soil Health Team? Well, I'm a member of the of that the Freeborn Area Soil Health Team. It's a, a, a cooperation between Steele County and Rice County and the Soil and Water District and the NRCS. And we put on uh, uh, seminars and field days and promoting soil health and conservation farming. And uh, have we have usually have several events through this, throughout the year. Oh, wonderful! And if, if someone wanted to attend one of those events or make sure they had it on their calendar, how might they? Um... How might they learn that information? Well, we we're trying to build an email list. Um, so if they've never if they've never gotten an email, I would say get a hold of your anybody at the Soil and Water District. They'll they'll get you on the list. Perfect. That is wonderful. Well, Tom, I appreciate this conversation so much. I appreciate you sharing your your knowledge um, for the good of those around you. So thank you so much, um, Jay. It's a tough job to, to summarize a, 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 a thorough conversation like this, but, but what do you have for a few key takeaways? Well, Ashley, yes, it was a great conversation there. And, and you know, the, the beauty of podcasts, unlike live radio, you can always replay it again or actually hit a, a button on, on, on your device to, to go back to maybe hear something you might have missed because there's a lot of information there. Uh, but, but a couple of things that, that I, I picked out of the discussion, I think, are perhaps unique. I think, you know, one of the interesting things, uh, Tom talked about getting started. And, and I think you got started maybe the way a lot of people do is they first try it out. They have somebody they know that does some custom strip tilling, um, you know, build some strips on their farm. And so, you know, they can get established that way. And I, I thought the, the important key thing there that Tom mentioned is the importance of 
of the fact that uh, the guidance system used on the machine that is, is building the strips is the same as the guidance system that you're going to happen to have on the planner that you're going across the field, or at least the same system. So I thought that that'd be an interesting thing for somebody to maybe miss. And kind of that was, to me, that was a eye opener uh, for me as I, as I, as I read that, um, you know, I think additional things I thought were, were interesting is, uh, you know, a lot of times people think, okay, if, if you're going to do strip till, it's going to be best suited for some of your medium or lighter textured soils. And yet in Tom's situation, it predominantly a lot of his ground tends to be heavier. Um, he did mention, however, that, you know, they've got some, some well-tiled ground as well. So that's going to help things. But I think that's maybe one of the myths that's out there is that, well, it's only going to work on your medium or lighter textured soils. And, and certainly Tom and his experience has, has proven that wrong. Um, you know, and the, and the next thing comes down to, you know, productivity. Is, is Tom seeing a, a difference in productivity on, on his farm? And I thought those were some interesting numbers as, as I did, a, did my, my quick math as he was rattling those numbers off. Um, prior to strip till, on corn at least, he was about 20 bushels above the county average, approximately 20 bushels ahead of the county average. He went to strip till, he maintained being 20 bushels ahead of uh, the county average. There wasn't a drop off there. And I thought it was particularly interesting on the soybean side that actually uh, previously had been about four bushels better than the county average. And now he bumped up to 10 bushels above the county average. So I thought that was particularly interesting. And, and, and the other thing I, I, I pulled out of the, the conversation that I thought was was unique as well is, uh, you know, Tom's looking at seeding uh, cover crops following the, uh, he's tried a number of different things, but uh, seeding cover crops following the soybean harvest. And, and the interesting thing about that is uh, seeding with a drill and then also uh, sh uh, plugging up the, the, the holes for the units that would go right over where the strips are going to be the following year so that you maybe have a little less competition with the corn there early on with a cover crop. So I, I thought those were kind of some, some unique things that I, I gathered out of the conversation. And again, beauty of podcasts, people can always replay again. So I really appreciated uh, Tom's uh, willingness to uh, visit with us and our, and our listeners today. And uh, folks, you can join us again in, in two weeks when our topic of conversation, which should be very timely in, in early April, is a germination process in corn and, and stress emergence. You know, how, how's corn going to come out of the ground under some cool conditions if those forecasts for April hold true? We're going to have our product agronomist, uh, Eric Schimmick, who does a lot of work with our uh, stress emergence trials in the northern corn belt. So you are not going to want to miss that. You know, until then, if this is your first time, you can listen to previous podcasts as well. Um, and uh, if you want to get more information from Ashley or myself during the season here, um, you can follow me uh, on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SeedZeke. And, and Ashley, where can they find you? At Ashley Storby. And uh, Tom is not active on Twitter, but he's very active on Instagram. So if you just uh, search him as Tom Polachek, uh, P-O-L-A-C-E-K. And uh, you can search him on Instagram and you can follow him. So once again, thank you for listening. Stay safe and stay healthy and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.